this is Paige and Ricks Hopkinson reporting from the Royal Grace before the Darlings Ball. Apparently, this isn't just any ball. This is the Darlings Annual Aquarius Ball, a fundraiser for what the Darlings say is a charity, but Edgar is almost certain the money goes right back into their pockets. I asked if he'd ever been to this function before, but he seemed a little embarrassed. According to Edgar, he's never left Flora. Just like me, in a sense, I suppose. His father had often left the business and came home with stories. However, Mr. Cadwell had always told Edgar that he needed to stay at home and keep things running in the company. I feel sort of bad for Edgar. When we first entered Cecilia's atmosphere, Ricks and I rushed out to see the view. It was only after a few seconds of gawking and awe that I noticed Edgar had a similar face. I had assumed that, because he was an aristocrat, he traveled to countless galaxies. But the reality was, he was caged for most of his life. I wonder how much of Flora he'd even seen besides Grand Ivor Glen. As a nomad, I got to travel all over the jungle with my grandfather. Perhaps in the end, I was more fortunate than the Cadwell I now call friend? Regardless, the drawback to all of this is that all of us are going in blind. No one knows what to expect at this party. It could be very dangerous if we're found out. Though the Darlings believe Edgar to be dead, if they were to see his face, it would be a problem. We'd have to take some, um, gruesome measures to ensure that they don't let the other families know. The Aquarius Ball, luckily, is a masquerade this year. I had no idea what I was going to wear, really. I don't have a dress, and the masks are so expensive. But, my dear audio diary, I must tell you that right now I am standing in front of my mirror and looking at the most breathtaking sight. Me, in a full-blown ball gown. <laughs> it's so different from what I'm used to. I. I never would have thought that I would see the day where I would be in a dress. The crew said it looked lovely when I showed them. There were some less than classy comments from Lewis. I'm glad I specifically asked he not come along with us to the shop. Oh, audio diary, Cecilia is such a beautiful moon. The city, Divine Vox, is gorgeous beside the ocean, which, well, surrounds it. This moon, as I said before, is completely covered in water. However, the land is broken up into small islands, most of them near each other and only a short trip away by airship. I've even heard rumors that there are intelligent life forms living under the ocean waves. Though, I don't know much about it. Alex and Hattie offered to buy me a dress and a mask for the ball. I can't pay them back, but Hattie said it was on her. I can't thank the two of them enough. Although, I don't exactly want to know how these space pirates obtained the money we paid for this outfit with. But the experience was so fulfilling. The streets are so clean, cobbled with sparkling white stone. The buildings are painted with various shades of blues, greens, and greys. Since the land is so small, all of its man-made structures are forced to go straight up. The height of some of the houses almost intimidating. Of course, 
Angelics made me think differently about that. I don't think I've ever been afraid of heights, but when I looked at such a different setting, I felt my stomach drop. For a moment, I expected golden towers and green backdrops as though I were back on Flora, but I wasn't. Cecilia is made of silver and pearl. It's so strange and yet so thrilling. Hattie and I put on countless dresses and I finally decided on this one. It's a long golden gown with glitter just about everywhere. It has a beige corset with golden patterns and long silk gloves that go up to my elbows. It twirls so nicely. I've never worn anything so beautiful and so hard to breathe in. My mask is made of shiny false gold, but it looks so lifeless, like an automaton's face almost. Only it's patterned with different kinds of shimmers and hues with cogs stuck on one half of the face. I'm so in love with this, I think I could faint. It's perfect for a beautiful engineer, such as myself. I can't thank the captain and Hattie enough. I asked Alex what they would be wearing for the occasion. They responded that today was a masculine day and that they would prefer to wear a suit for the occasion. I wonder what Alex in a tux and top hat would look like. I bet they'll look simply dashing. I think everyone will. Well, except Lewis, slimy creature that he is. I know that this is a very important mission and that I have to keep my eye on the prize, but I can't help but feel so giddy about the whole thing. To lose focus for a moment or two. I never expected this before. If only Grandfather could see me now. I really do have to wonder what he'd say. Not so much about the dress, but about the fact that I'm not only friends with a Cadwell, but also in the care of space pirates. Hmm. I'm sure he'd be proud. I pray to the old gods every night for him. I know that they will take good care of him as they do all their children. I was thinking about it, Audio Diary, and I hope this isn't too inappropriate for the occasion, but I was thinking about asking Captain Alex to accompany me to the ball as a date. I've never really asked anyone to a dance before. Well, that's mostly because the closest I've ever come to a dance is a standoff with a grand Venus bird trap. You know, the large green plant that can eat anything the size of carnivorous toucanus. Ugh, you do not want to cross paths with one of those in the jungle. Your ray gun can't save you from that. I'm so nervous to ask. I know that even if they say no, I'll still have little Ricks. Oh! Oh, that's right. I forgot to mention Rix's outfit for the evening. He's studying a three-piece suit and a monocle on his 15th eye. Such a little stud. The black is a real clash against the green of his fur this evening. And his nine tails are so fluffy. Oh, Rix, you really are going to be a lady killer this evening. How will I hold on to you? Well, I guess it's time to go ask. But, luckily, I'm back on the Royal Grace, and... Ah! Ready the cannons Maybe, the see? Time. We're in the middle of a full-blown war. Well, 
more like self-declared war via Captain Strandwood. Which, by the way, did not work out as I thought. Oh, let me start from the beginning of the evening. We all gathered at the dock where we were to meet for the ball. As I assumed, everyone looked dashing, except Lewis. I was more than satisfied to see him standing by the docks alone. I went to stand by gloomy Edgar, who was, well, gloomy for obvious reasons. I saw Hattie standing with a girl I'd never seen before, but they both looked lovely. I assumed it was her girlfriend, but at the ball I found Hattie with various women, so I'm not sure? Anyways, we waited for a few moments, and then Alex walked down from the ship with Clint on their arm. According to Hattie, they've been together for a rather long time. But they were quite the pair, I have to admit. Both of them in dashing suits. Alex wore a dark navy blue and looked like the captain of a war vessel. Clint wore a dark brown suit and just so proper. I would be heartbroken, I suppose, but honestly, not for some reason. I'm happy Captain Strandwood has someone they love. And quite honestly, I should have seen it before. Clint never leaves their side. But anyways, Alex handed out communication devices and briefly showed us how they worked. And then we were off. We all had our masks on as we walked down the crowded streets of the city. The ocean's song could be heard around us as the evening fog rolled in. The smell of salt and the island flowers filled the air as we approached the Darling's mansion. Even then, I did not realize what terrible danger we were heading into. Edgar and I ended up walking in together and I heard the lad mutter about the Darling's lack of security. Alex explained that it was probably a ruse. Letting mass strangers into your home was something so obscene for a family of the Darling's status, they must be expecting something. I spent the first part of the night doing things that you would normally do at a ball, I suppose. I danced with everyone there, although I think Hattie was my favorite partner. She's an amazing dancer. Did you know Hattie has a prosthetic leg? I'd never have known until I saw her dress. It's beautiful. She says it's her favorite attribute. I want to take a look at it sometime. The engineering put into it is amazing. She was about to tell me the inventor, but then we changed partners. Whoever it was, they're a genius. The gear work, the design, it looks like it was made for a goddess among automatons. Well, I mean, Hattie is a goddess, but what a leg! I was surprised at Edgar's terrible dancing. He's handsome and all, but dance is clearly not his forte. He was stepping all over my shoes when Alex gave us the signal. And I think even then, I was still in a daze. The music, the lights, the food. All of it was an ambrosia I could never forget. But when Alex gave us the signal, I, I, I can't even really remember what I did. All I know is that we all walked down the hall. We spread out into different rooms. And some of them, believe me, you would not want to find out what was going on. How aristocrats spend their time is rather peculiar. Over my receiver, I heard Edgar say that he had found something. We all rushed to his aid. It was at the very bottom floor, a basement of sorts. I, what I saw was such a fright. I can't remember how far underground we'd gone. Alex had been wrong. The darlings really did suck at security. At first, that is. 
There was no protection, no guards, no system in place. We were all confused as we stood there. But really, we were gawking at what was hidden in that room. The aristocrats are really sickening creatures. Their choice in hobbies is... Come now. Focus, Hopkinson. Breathe. I'm sorry, audio diary, but the sight I saw was too terrifying to really convey. The darlings had experimentations going on in that basement. And not just any experimentation. Humans and animals alike. Hattie started to shake and ran out of the room. I turned to go after her, but then I saw Alex's face. Their eyes were wide as they stared at the robes of human bodies crammed into large glowing glass tubes. Brass tubes wired throughout the facility, steam filling the air and the humans. There were rusty tubes, twitching gears, the cogs getting stuck in flesh on some of them. They were stuck inside their skin. Growths bursted from the bodies here and there. Some of them so deformed you could not even tell they were human anymore. Clint then asked, do you think she's here? And Lewis, the little brat that he is, piped up, of course she's here. Edgar and I were still dazed, but as soon as the captain started to weave between each container, we began to follow. Captain Alex kept saying something about, she has to be here. I wasn't sure what they meant at first, but then Alex stopped. We stared at a particular tube. A woman was huddled in a strange liquid, half her face gone and replaced with metal and machinery where flesh should have been. Where her stomach should have been, all wires and gears. Alex stared with wide eyes for a few seconds and then began to cry. Audio diary. The woman in the tube. I do not know who she was, but it was obvious she'd meant a lot to Alex. When Alex tilted their head and shook it, they told us it was time to leave. Clint mumbled something about taking the girl with us, but Alex said it was too late. Edgar asked what we should take to use against the aristocrats. And then, Alex said that we would be taking nothing. That they would fix this atrocity as a sign of revenge. That we would declare our war against them. There and then, we followed the captain out. We walked through the halls of laughing faces. We walked down hazy streets filled with silence. I thought I saw the captain crying. And then we got to the ship. Hattie was sitting in the middle of the deck, her head folded into her arms and her shoulders shaking like a leaf. Alex put one hand on her back and the girl looked up. I've never seen Hattie without her goggles on before. She has the prettiest green eyes. It was unfortunate that I had to see them so tear-ridden. She fixed her goggles back over her face. Without any instruction, she went to her post, ready to fly again. I turned to see Edgar asking Clint what we were doing, if we were leaving without a fight. And then Clint said, in a quiet voice, that 
there would be a fight we'd never seen before. Which is where we are now. Handy drove the ship right over the Darling's mansion and then Alex blew the cannon. They destroyed part of the house, but, well. Remember how we assumed the Darlings had no security? That was wrong of us. They have an entire fleet and they are after our hides. I'm currently in my room with little Ricks waiting for the captain's orders, but it's getting pretty rough in here. I'm scared. The Darlings have so much arsenal at their disposal, but Alex seems adamant to destroy their hobby in the basement. This episode of Bosch and Brave was written and produced by Ashley Glenn and brought to you by Blackmore Productions. Paige Hopkinson was voiced by Clover Grayson and Alex Strandwood was voiced by Adam Barba. Like what we do here? Follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes. Want to tell us how great we are? Send us a message at blackmoreproductions at gmail.com. Also, we have a website. Go to blackmoreproductions.com to get the latest updates on your favorite podcasts. Blackmore Productions. Some against the current.